Welcome back to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Schulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 5, Episode 1, Sympathy for the Devil. Let's get this show back on the road. Season 5. For those who have been following along, they know I have a pretty bad relationship with this season, let alone this episode. I think you hate this episode as much as I hate some of the other episodes that we've talked about. And I'm like, I hate it with the power of a thousand suns. I will give a very tiny spoiler right up at the top of this episode, though. On rewatch, with all of the knowledge I have gained over the last so many recording sessions and viewings... While I still have many problems with it, (laughs) I definitely did not hate it the way I did the first time. It definitely has its issues, which we will be talking about in the episode. Can I just fangirl for a second? Our pins are on sale. Our pins are on sale. If you're listening to this, the very moment it releases, you've got like an hour and a half window before they actually go on sale at nine. But like, ah! Our pins are available as of today, September 23rd at 9 a.m. Eastern on our coffee shop. And you can find all the details on our website, carryingwayward.com. Please go buy them because I'm so proud of them. And I swear, the first person I see wearing one, I I will go to the nearest beverage dispensing location with you (laughs) to purchase you a beverage from that location. Should we start with the recap? Sure, let's get it out of the way. (laughs) All right, I'll count you down. Three, two, one, go. We start right where we left off last season. The brothers standing over the hole opening in the ground. Lucifer literally rising and then fade to white and we're magically on an airplane. What the actual... mm, mm, We will get into this more later. From the plane, they see the emergence happening. So was there like a few seconds of time travel here? Again, I'm still angry at this. But ultimately, they got off the plane and go hide out for a bit because they got to figure out what to do next. Sam is super apologetic and has lost his demon-y powers magically. Dean doesn't really want to talk about it. And then they go see Chuck to figure out what to do. Chuck has no idea, but Chuck sends a creepy fangirl who writes Wincest after them to give a message. And then Bobby shows up. And it turns out Bobby's being really mean to Sam because clearly he's possessed. I call that immediately. And then Meg is back in a new body and they try to go after this sword of Michael, which is something they're looking after. Apparently they need to, you know, fight this war against Lucifer. And then they get to their dad's storage locker and it turns out it was a setup by the angels and surprise the sword of Michael is literally Dean because he's the vessel for Michael. And then he's all like, no, we're taking his lungs. No, you have cancer. No, Cass miraculously reappears, even though Chuck claimed he had 100% died to the point that bits of Cass were in his hair and saves them and then makes them unfindable by carving into their ribs magically. And then Sam and Dean basically split up and break my heart time. This is a long recap. We might have to put a time limit back on you. I think this episode gets one special, okay? This is a a Drew special. How about that? Let's hop right into the long game. There's a lot of stuff. I will say for the long game, the two things going in that I definitely knew this episode 
were that Dean was the vessel for Michael and he was the sword of Michael, that was a plot point I was already aware of. And the magically being magic onto a plane by magic, which is what I got so mad at both in this recap and in life. Well, I mean, the boys are even mad at it. You know, like everybody is mad at it, even in the story, even in universe, people are mad about it. What do I need to make note of this episode specifically? In the cold open of the episode, we've got, you know, Sam and Dean who are witnessing Lucifer rising. And I just want to highlight that since he's a fallen angel, he has the same effect on humans as other angels. Like, I really like the fact that Lucifer is playing by angel rules throughout the whole episode, it seems. And I think this lends credence to kind of my theory that Lucifer is not going to be such a bad guy. One point, Lucifer is not that bad a guy. (laughs) Dean's first concern is finding Cass, and that is peak boyfriend behavior. And then when Chuck, because yes, we see Chuck again, when Chuck tells him that Cass is dead, Dean is like, well, maybe he just vanished into the light or something. And really, this is not the last time that Dean is going to be wishful thinking about Cass's well-being. Oh, I don't like that. No, nobody likes that. Dean doesn't like that. Rewatching this scene also brought back a lot of the entire subplot of season 14, and it just made me so angry. But we meet Nick, who in one form or another is going to be a part of the show for the next decade. What we do know about Nick's backstory is that his wife and his son were killed violently. I have very little opinion on Nick yet. I mean, clearly we know what he is, and I guess learning that he's going to stick around for a while says some stuff to me. I'll be really intrigued to get to know him as a character more. For the moment, he he feels like quite sympathetic, right? Be, like, it's easy to feel sympathy towards this this character. So I think we should hang on to that. And I also really want us to, to note that Lucifer presents himself to Nick as his dead wife. And I'm going to phrase this differently. Lucifer presents himself to Nick as his dead romantic partner. And he also tells him things like, you're special, you're chosen, which were some of like Sam's deeply held beliefs last season. Oh, that can be messy. <laughs> you think? You think this is going to be clean? No. Messy, the Winchesters? No, I don't believe you. I feel like Lucifer not messy, Nick messy. Well, Sam messy. Oh, Sam bloody messy. Oh. <laughs> Slip of the tongue. Like you said, we meet Becky as she's writing Wincest fanfiction. I do want us to keep an eye on how the writers are writing Becky because she is the epitome of fangirl. And keep in mind that at that point, the writers of the show knew that, you know, the male audience that they were expecting for this show did not turn up. And it's a bunch of fangirls who showed up. So I think that their opinion of Becky should be taken into account in terms of how they think of their own fan base. We meet Becky as she's writing Wincest fanfiction. And I want to highlight that we meet her the same way that we meet Chuck, as they're both writing stories about Sam and Dean. I'm very concerned about the way you worded that and the way you brought that to my attention. I, I don't think there's anything to be concerned about that. It's just like kind of showing that one is valued and the other is, is ridiculed. Okay, I see. Okay, more as a direct comparison. Okay, there was a part of me that was like, does Becky become a prophet? Because that could be really weird in those cases. I would have loved that. I would have genuinely loved 
It's an excellent plot. To introduce them both into similar ways, and one is considered a literal prophet, and the other one is a joke. Yeah, I think that again goes uh, another point in the um, thought process the team behind the show occasionally doesn't really understand. We are introduced to the idea of the Michael Sword, uh, which, I mean, was a really convoluted way to say that Dean is the Archangel Michael's one true vessel. Do you remember in the rapture when Jimmy Novak was saying that Castiel needed his help and that it was something in his blood? Well, we're going to be getting more details about this as the season goes on. And so I don't blame you if you think that this is completely ridiculous. Well, this doesn't even seem that ridiculous. I mean, obviously, let's get the explanation. If this is on par with Star Wars midichlorians, which it's starting to sound like it might be, uh, there's something in your blood that gives you powers or not, as opposed to just being like, it's space magic, deal with it. We'll see how it's handled in this case. But again, it's at least hinted at a bit in the way that Lucifer speaks to Nick, that he's kind of a chosen one or he's special in some way. Again, this is one of those things where, like, I kind of am okay with the idea of, like, only certain people can be vessels for certain angels because of prophecy or characteristics beyond their control. But if we then get down to, oh, it's because you have a certain count of angel sparkles in your DNA and you have enough to handle this. I'm just like, that's almost why I walked away from this episode in the first place. It's not going to be that. So I'm telling you right now because I don't want to lose you. In season one, uh, so this is a, a bit of a flashback here, like we're, we're drawing upon some of the long game in previous seasons. Uh, Dean knew that John Winchester was possessed because he was too nice. And this time, the demon's overcorrected by making Bobby too mean. And if we just go back to 422, Bobby literally tells Dean that John was an asshat, not in those words, but, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, for not reaching out to Sam. So to hear him say in this episode, like, John was right about Sam, must have been a real trip for Dean. And, like, let's remember, we've had three weeks since we talked about 422. But people who watched the show as it was airing had a whole summer. But again, for Dean, this was like maybe a day or two ago. So like there's a lot of unbelievable things that happen in this episode. But I think the most unbelievable for me is that Dean didn't catch on that Bobby was possessed immediately. Meg is back in a new body. Zachariah is still around, sadly. Cass is actually back from the dead, and like you said, he literally carves the brothers' ribs with Enochian sigils uh, to keep them hidden from all angels, including Zachariah, but also including himself, which is going to lead to some really funny moments later this season. Actually, very, you know, in the next few episodes, frankly. I guess I just don't want to skip over this too quickly. Like, Cass is back from the dead, and we don't know yet where angels go when they die. But when we do find out about it, we're told that nothing comes back from that. So I think it's really notable that Cass is back. This, to me, was almost the redeeming moment of the episode, as weird as it might sound. I so disliked the deus ex machina of just oh, we have to get the boys out of this weird, dangerous Lucifer situation? Uh, something put them on a plane. It's at least acknowledged that it wasn't the angels who did it. And then also, clearly it wasn't the angels who brought Cass back. So we now have almost like this third invisible faction, or I guess fourth if you're thinking demons, humans, angels, and then 
whatever this fourth mystery is that could, for all we know, be a demon, an angel, or a human, but we don't know yet, that is clearly so powerful that it could save them from Lazarus and bring Cass back from a place that, as you've said, he shouldn't be coming back from. Save him from Lucifer, right? But even just Cass being saved from an ar- being killed by Michael. Or an archangel, and I'll never specify it's Michael. Having this other thing that our mysterious player has done redeems for me the fact that he that they were magically saved. That's fair. We we now have a long term I'm assuming long term mystery that I am now incredibly invested in. Oh yay, that'll be fun. I think we have juiced the long game as thoroughly as one can juice a segment. Uh, shall we hop into story time? Let's do that. Today, our theme is intention. Intention is what you hope to attain through the actions you take. I love the word that you use, attain, because intention actually comes from a Latin word that means to turn one's attention toward or to stretch toward. And so there's this idea of effort and the idea of attention in intention. So basically when you intend to do something, you turn your attention towards it and you stretch in that direction. How about we get started with Sam this week? Just because like, I feel like there's a lot to unpack there. Oh, there is a lot to unpack. Would you like to get us started? Given what happens in season four, I I sort of wanted to bring up the adage like the road to hell is paved with good intentions because we haven't said that at all or we haven't talked about it at all during season four. And I recently learned of an alternative form of it, which is hell is full of good meanings, but heaven is full of good works. And we've had this discussion in season four a lot already, but Sam spent so much time focusing his intention his attention, sorry, he was focusing on the outcome, on the end result, that he basically forgot to consider the means that he was using to get there. And he's confronted with that big time in this episode. And the fallout is literally monumental. Oh, yeah. If this is not like the definition of the the quote you just gave, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I mean, this is literally the example of I am I am striving for something good. I intend for good to come from this, even if the individual steps are not good. And here we literally get the ultimate anti-payoff, I guess, of look at all these terrible things I did, and ultimately I didn't gain anything good from them. Like, these scales are way on the wrong side. If we refocus on this episode specifically, I think that Sam's intention is to come clean in so many sense of the term because he's apologizing to Bobby. He's trying to apologize to Dean. Uh, Dean will let him and we'll talk about that in a minute, but he's also not hiding his relationship with Ruby anymore. And he's openly telling Dean that he learned to make hex bags from her. And clearly this is something that he wouldn't have told him last season, giving both of their reactions. So that's, I think what Sam is stretching toward, like this is peak Sam behavior. He feels something and he needs to deal with it immediately. Like he needs to get it out and he needs to fix it. He needs to talk about it. And it's like immediate, right? 
And this is the worst part because it hurts me to say this about Artala's Bean. But he's just making the same mistake again. He has his intentions, which in this case is to kind of get back to a status quo. I, I don't think be forgiven is the right thing. Because I think even he knows that's not going to happen. Or at least not easily. But he wants to get back to, you know, you're right, I was wrong. Let's move on and save the day. Let's go back to being heroes. And he's not giving, especially Dean, the space to do this. The room to heal. While his intentions may be good to get to a good standing with his brother, he's not putting in the work. I think he wants to be the, fir- the, the one to make the first step to show willingness to. Or at least that's how I'm seeing it. Yeah, I feel like the, the point you brought up specifically about the hex bag with Ruby... I, I don't know why that scene stuck with me so much because there's just like like some acting kudos here for a moment but just the way Sam is pausing that he's like there's that pause of like I'm not going to say because I lie about this and he goes oh no no wait that's the old Sam I would have lied about this I'm good Sam now I would not lie to Dean and because I want Dean to love me again I'm going to not lie to him now and just be I feel like you're front. really oversimplifying our tallest bean. <laughs> it's unintentionally taking the easiest path, the path of least resistance again. I disagree with that because the path of the path of least resistance would have been to say like to not say it, to not say that Ruby taught him. That would have been the path of least resistance. See, I, 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 I go the other way. I think that is resistance because he's just going back to his old ways of lying and he wants to prove he's something better now. Like, I think that moment was a genuinely good moment. That was genuinely Sam doing the right thing. But I feel like he's the kind of person who does that thing and goes, huh, okay, we're past the lying step now. Check that off the list. We're good. Okay, well, I mean, maybe that's what he's thinking in his mind, but hopefully that's not what he's thinking in terms of, like, putting in the work, right? Uh, truly, I hope so, but I feel like he's hoping it'll just do everything for him. Yeah, I think that there maybe there is a little bit more wishful thinking than I care to to kind of admit here, but but I think that by taking these actions, like, he's understanding the work that he's going to need to put into it to truly be forgiven or to truly be able to make amends I think it's a matter of, like, each individual moment kind of makes me sway one way or the other on this one a little bit. As much as I harp on Sam a little bit here, his in- his intentions truly are good this time. Listen, you're allowed to, because the thing is, you didn't really get to do that last season because you didn't fully know what was going to happen. I was able to be a bit harsher on him. Through season four, you were much more generous with Sam than I was. Oh, I was the biggest Sam Ruby apologist ever. <laughs> you really were. It was really funny. It was really hard <laughs> to tell you what's happening. I mean, as much as I knew it was happening, it still hurts a little bit. My poor Ruby. I'm now being a bit softer on Sam than you are is probably because, like, I'm seeing the work that he's putting into it. And for you, like, you're still mad at him because it literally just happened for you. You know what? I think that might be it. I think I, I think it's very true. And again, I think that's one of the benefits like of this show, of our format, is that I can be that way. 
I don't I, like you had the foresight and I didn't, and now it's the it's a fresh wound for me. And you're like, that's so like twelve years ago. <laughs> well, not twelve because I only started watching in 2016. But yes, it's yes. There you go. For me, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, it's been a few years now. Would you like to uh, get us started on our uh, our shorter bean? Did we come up with a thing for Dean? Our Dean is Dean. Our our darling Dean. I feel like we tried to come up with this a while ago. Well, I feel like Dean is in more of a supporting role in this episode because his actions are mostly there to kind of highlight how badly Sam feels about everything. I I feel like his intention in this episode is to like keep our heads down, hash this out, power through, just like get it done. And this is peak Dean behavior. Because he can't really let himself feel too much about what's going on because he's afraid that he's not going to be able to handle it and put it back in the box where he thinks it belongs. And I see this as him being afraid of how angry he really is at Sam and how angry he would be at Sam if he really let himself feel his feelings. And we sort of see like glimpses of that throughout the episode, like when he snaps at him for... Like when, when he's, he finds out that Cass died, for example, and he's like, nope, I can't handle that. I don't want it. And so he just like shoves it down. It's like, I don't, I don't want to feel this kind of anger. So I'm just going to shove it down. He does that basically by doing what he knows how to do, which is working the case. So anyway, I think that his main intention is to try to get over his feelings of anger and betrayal that he feels. But we know Dean and like when he feels something he's only able to process it later. So like that clashes with how Sam processes things, uh, like we just mentioned. And we're seeing the beginning of some really tough times for the brothers. So before I even go into my side of Dean and talk about this, I'm just going to remind you that one of my predictions was that Dean would be much more of the let's fix this and Sam would be much more of the distant one. (laughs) I had that totally backwards. Um, and seeing it now, I totally get it. And I see like what they're going for here. And I think it's just as good, if not better. Yeah. I think that they did this really well. Like they show the rift between them, like quite nicely. I really like the way that they go about this in, in the next few episodes too. I'm, I'm looking forward to see how, cause I'm going to assume they get back into team, you know, Winchester mode at some point, but well, I mean, no, technically like the next uh, 10 seasons is basically us following them separately. <laughs> like the, okay like for the listeners i know that's bullshit and the way you kept a straight face there i was like watching for the crack <laughs> you don't want to play poker with me is all i'm saying oh i've learned that lesson hardcore you and i are if we're ever gambling we're going as a team because fuck <laughs> So, with that little um, admitting my my incorrect vision out of the way, I think it's funny here because I feel like my the intentions I saw from Dean were the same as Sam's. The intention was to go back to the status quo. You know, he, even as far as that classic line of, if this were a regular hunt, what would be the next step? Like, that to me is such a quintessential, I feel like it's happened a few times in the series at this point, where it's just like, I get this is a big deal. Let's treat it like a regular deal. What do we do? And that's very much of a Dean centering himself. But despite his intentions, and as we learn at the end of this episode, he's pissed. Yeah. 
With reason. With with reason. I mean, basically, thanks to his brother, Lucifer's back, and worse, his boyfriend's dead at, at this point in his mind. Right. I mean, like, and, and I, I feel like I didn't really emphasize that when I was talking about my stuff, but, like, Dean is completely valid in his anger. Like, his anger is righteous. He he was betrayed by Sam. He feels betrayed by Sam and he perceives that injustice was done towards him. And I, I I can't blame him. I can't blame him. I think the best depiction of that, the thing that makes it so like palpable is the fact that Dean did not recognize Bobby being possessed. Ooh, say more about that. You know, when you're mad at someone, you have that, like, seething rage in you. Like, you've, you've been there. I can't imagine anyone who hasn't had a moment. I really don't need to dig that deep for that. Yes, yes, I know. <laughs> okay, but some of our listeners, I'm hoping, have to, because it's not a great thing to feel. <laughs> when you're so upset with somebody that, like, someone else being mad, all you can do is be like, Yes! Vindicate my feelings! Oh, so you feel like, you feel like Dean was... Like, oh, I don't want to say happy, but like happy about what Bobby said? I, I don't think happy, but I think vindicated. I think vindicated is my word here. It's that he was so angry and didn't know how to get it out because he's trying to be reasonable, keep his head down, keep the status quo. Really, it feels like his intentions, like I said, were just to get through this and move on. And it really required the pushing of Sam and the eventual blow up for him to say like, no, I'm done. I'm out. Let's go split up. But in that moment, being just just holding on to that rage and not wanting it to come out, seeing someone else willing to do it, it didn't even trigger for him that, wait, that's like not Bobby. That's just someone mirroring the emotions I'm feeling on the inside, wishing to say the things that I could say. Because effectively, and as powerful and as hurtful as that line was for Bobby, even though it was a demon, lose my number. That is essentially what Dean said to Sam at the end of this episode when they split up. Like, this was not a, I need my space, we'll work this out. This was the, I can't trust you anymore, this is done, goodbye. So even with the best intentions, his intentions literally were to swallow his feelings and move on and just get through this. And ultimately, emotions win, and he couldn't. Dean is going to need to feel those feelings, right? He can't just shove them down. So I think it's important that he does. No, I, I think it's important that, yes, there was the flaw in not seeing it in Bobby when it became apparent. But at the end of the day, the feelings Dean is feeling and Dean's reaction, even at the end, I don't think any of it is misplaced. I feel for Sam... He wronged Dean. He wronged the, literally the entire world. So I, you know, like Dean, Dean, Dean is right to be mad. There you go. I need to stop saying the same thing over and over again. <laughs> Shall we talk about somebody else? I want to talk about Cass. So the first thing that Cass does when he's back from the dead is to find the Winchesters, kill two angels and save the brothers from Zachariah. So I would say that his intention is to protect the Winchesters at all costs, even if that means making them invisible from all angels and not being able to find Dean anymore. Yeah, like, this is one of those things where, like, it came up during the note-taking process. Like, again, I always kind of, like, review our notes together before we, like, get into these episodes. And, like, 
that didn't even occur to me. Like, at no point, like, until we, I, I finished the episode, I had my feelings, I came to write, and then I, like, do a note check to make sure we're not talking about the same things, and I was just like, oh, you're right, Cass can't find his Dean no more. Cass can't show up at the end of his bed anymore. Like I said, this is the mystery part of this. This is where they've, like, gotten my hooks. Like, I want to know what happens to Sam and Dean. I want to know what happens to Lucifer. But that's, like, what I'm expecting to get. But, you know, Cass's return really gives us this, like, extra oomph of mystery. If it wasn't clear end of season four, this episode makes it very clear. Someone's done dealing with Heaven's bullshit. But I just, I just can't wait to see more of Cass. Honestly, I, this is like a new cast, and I'm excited to see him. Like we went, we got through level one cast, this is level two cast, and I want more of it. Ultimately, my last thought about Cass, really, and again, I, I feel like I'm drawing away from intention here, unfortunately. Although I guess I could tie it if I really tried to. Uh, his newfound intentions to protect the Winchesters and ultimately not be Heaven's little guard dog anymore and be his own person. I wonder, like on a scale, I, I feel like the obvious thing is that is all. Dean making him have those realizations in the beautiful room at the end of last season. But how much of that would have to do with our mystery resurrecting him from the afterlife after afterlife? So you think that the resurrection changed him? Not that it changed him, but that whatever resurrected him, either through its actions or potentially meeting Cass, would have also had sway over Dean, uh, sway over Cass in some way like Dean did. Interesting. So kind of like the whole, like, you brought back Sammy, but Sammy may not be all Sammy kind of thing that we got in season two. A, a little bit from column A, but a little bit from column B. I think there's part of that as well, of like how much of cast is the cast we once had? Like, has anything been stripped away or added? But also just, I mean, if you were told there is an ultimate end to life and even angels can't come back from it, and then you get brought back by something... That definitely shakes your confidence in the thing that told you this can never happen. You know, I think it, this is literally like, you know, those people who die are like clinically dead for a little while. And then um, I, that's kind of how I'm looking at this as, as an experience. And, and yeah, Cass is definitely going to have like a come to Jesus moment. Or leave Jesus moment, I guess. I don't know how this works. I'm not good at the Bible. <laughs> well, well, we'll see. We'll see in the next episode about that, actually. Ultimately, I think what my point here is, is I can't wait to figure out what resurrected Cass, if that's the right term to use, because that will sway my opinions on him, or at least some of my questions about him going forward. Are you suspicious of Cass? I mean, I feel like I should be only because everyone I love turns around and betrays me in this show. You're still sad and mad about Ruby, aren't you? <laughs> I am, but I love Cass too much to to dare question him. So I question the things that may be behind Cass that aren't Cass himself. That's a lot of speculation for one episode. I think I'm good. Yeah, let's move on to critical time. Okay, as is tradition, this is not changing. I need to know who's behind this episode. And I forget, has every season opener been a Kripke episode? So does that mean this is a Kripke episode? It is a Kripke episode directed by Robert Singer. I love me Robert Singer. He do good work. There you go. Would you like to open the Hunter's Journal for us? Oh, I'd love to. The phone was ringing when I walked into the apartment. It took me a few rings before I even knew what it was. 
I don't even recall someone calling me on it, save for a telemarketer or a wrong number. I wasn't fast enough to grab it. Not that I was really trying. The evening went on as usual, nor as usual as they were nowadays. It was a week or two later that it happened again. This time I was in the shower, and as I turned it off, I could hear the tail end of the landline ring. Only once. I paused, still dripping, my vision obscured by the steam, wondering if it would ring again, but no. Then last night, I came home from work, the weekend ahead of me, thought I'd likely spend the same way I'd spent every weekend the last few months, alone and trying not to think about the world outside. I couldn't sleep, so I went to put something on and lie in the living room. It was only then that I noticed that faint red light on the landline phone, indicating I had a voicemail. I listened to it. Hey, hon. Hope you're doing well. It's been a while. Sorry I keep missing you. I'm sure you feel the same way. I'll keep it short. Just say that I love you, I miss you, and I hope tomorrow's a better day. Well, the next day was better. The sky was clear, and it felt like the first warm summer day in too long. I strolled through the bright, sunny air and knelt down before the gravestone I had been so afraid to go visit, and I just cried for a bit. Finally, I built up the courage, and I said, It has been too long, but today is better. Thank you. It's, like, really dark in my apartment right now. <laughs> Why do you do this? I was hoping this was a little more of a light one. It's spooky, but it's a love a story. A light one? <laughs> He's, like, talking to his wife beyond the grave. But she's comforting him. It's very him. dark. <laughs> what thoughts do you have to share with us this week? Did you notice the new title card? I did, and it's it just, again... I always like to double check we're talking about the same thing here. Uh, white background, kind of like a blood flow under like a microscope almost, or like that kind of that blood swirl. I liked it. It was very new and interesting and very bright. Yes. Well, uh, if we dig into that a little bit, what do you think the meaning of that is? Well, you have alluded to, and I mean, the episode does as well, that there is something to do with your blood when it comes to being uh, a vessel for angels. So given the much whiter color scheme of the intro and the swirl of blood, I assume it's alluding to that being a bit more relevant this season? Well, so the way that I sort of look at this is that like the white of the title card is basically the white that happens when angels arrive on Earth. The same way that we saw when Cass arrived, the same way that we saw when Lucifer came up from wherever he was. Yeah, I, I mean, that makes sense. There's kind of this, like, it, it's a bit cliche, but there is kind of that white light of uh, angels appearing. Yeah, exactly. And then what you're describing as blood, I mean, it, it makes sense because it is red in the underneath. But, like, I saw, you know, like, the smoke, the black smoke that we see when demons, like, smoke out? So that's the way that I'm looking at this. So, like, really, like, the, the mix of the angels and the demons and I do like the idea of the blood because I think it'll be really important in this season. And, and and when I hear blood, I'm thinking about Bobby saying, like, family don't end in blood. But my first thought was like, oh, how much is blood still going to be relevant? I kind of feel like the whole drinking demon blood thing is over. And we didn't even talk about it this episode. But Sam is just like, oh, yeah, no, my addiction's gone magically. Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, don't get me started about that one. Yeah, that that one to me, I'm just talking about whatever put him on the plane also cured his demon blood thing. Just Again, I'm hopeful this mystery will be satisfying. I'm already expecting it won't be, but I'm hoping it is. Who do you think did it? I'm still in the camp, and again, you're not going to agree or prove or deny. 
that it's the same thing that raised Cass. I think that that's a fair assumption. So my thinking is, if I had to really put it out there, if there was something strong enough to do this, it's either going to be a real weird twist and it is Lucifer somehow. And like I was alluding to earlier, I think that Lucifer is going to be much more of a down-to-earth is the ironic way of putting this character. And then he's not going to be the classic evil red tail, horn, golden fiddle devil we all think of. And that there was some reason behind this because he wanted to make it fair. He wanted to fix the mistakes that were caused because of him or some bullshit. Or the other extreme, it turns out there is a god and all this time there's kind of been this like illusion that he is or isn't actually there giving orders anymore. And he is still there and still has some powers but is trying to like or can't interfere and he's finally like interfering again. I think both are equally unlikely and it'll be something completely out of left field given the show, but it's either the devil or God. One of the two is trying to set something right or fix something by doing this. All right, let's keep that in mind as we head over to our community. This week, we have a message from Lucien. But before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. Where else are intentions important in Supernatural? When you first watched the episode, what did you think Lucifer's intentions were? Or to respond to anything else we discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. And we also want to remind you that Drew and I will be answering the question about Lucifer's intentions for our Roadhouse patrons and coffee supporters in our Impala Talk. Hi, my name is Lucian, and this will be my third voicemail so far. My apologies, but I really could talk about Supernatural for every minute of every day. Uh, And I usually do. (laughs) Um, Your analysis each week always leave me reeling with thoughts. uh, So I have a couple of questions for you both to consider. Now that we are in season four of the show, I want to breach a topic that has been hinted at a couple of times so far, but in my opinion will come to epitomize what Supernatural uh, is attempting to comment on, uh, like the entirety of the show, what, what, what it all comes down to, I, I, I suppose you could, you could say. Um, and that is the question of agency and free will. The show takes a steep dive into Christian theology at this point in the story and at its heart determinism. Are the choices Sam and Dean making really their own? Or do they inevitably lead to a predetermined outcome as desired or prophesied by God? Uh, Mary knows the ending of the show, and to her, I pose this. We are presented with two potential endings for the show. The first by, uh, to keep it vague for Drew, um, a short guitar-playing character named after actual writers, and in a lot of ways represents the writer's room. And another ending by a character, Becky, who is blatantly understood to be a stand-in for supernatural fans of the show, uh, particularly shippers and young women. In my opinion, I think this represents the tension that is occurring and the self-awareness from the writers uh, as to what we want to see and uh, what they deliver and who is ultimately controlling the narrative. So I, I really uh, hope that, Mary, you... Uh, I would really love it if, I suppose, there was some discussion about your thoughts on that. Um, and 
whose ending do you think is ultimately represented by the finale, just to like keep in the back of your mind? And as an extension of that, which character really won in the end? There's another layer to this in regard to the struggle for control over the narrative and its possible derailment in the form of Castiel, who we've now been introduced to, uh, Destiel, and interestingly, the writer's own self-positioning uh, through their self-insert character as the villain of the story, which I would just love your thoughts on. Um, and I'm so sorry, Drew, I know that was <laughs> was probably going to make no sense to you. Uh, but as someone who uh, only has a vague notion of the complete narrative, whether you perceive the brothers right now to have a semblance of control over what is happening to them, are they making choices fully exerting agency um, and whether you think they can impact the course of fate, whether you think they are impacting the course of fate as they currently go uh, doing what they're doing right now. Um, now that we've met angels, I'd also love your thoughts uh, about whether you think these creatures were built with the capacity for free will. Um, is Castiel in particular like the others or is he damaged in some way? Perhaps you could say, does he have a chink in his chasis? Uh, and I'd like to leave you with a quote from the man who would be king. And that is, freedom is a length of rope. God wants you to hang yourself with it. Thank you. Have a nice day. <laughs> I, Lucien, first of all, like the fact that you were able to do so much without Spoiler is incredibly impressive. I, I, I'm equally in the dark, except that now I think Becky or Chuck is going to make it a lot longer than I anticipated and may even be the ultimate villain of the series, which is weird. But I'm sure I'm reading that wrong because that seems way too weird. But then again, I'm never going to put it against the show. Uh, but I do want to answer your question about destiny and fate. Funny enough, Mary knows this very well, and I'm sure a lot of listeners do. I religiously play a game called Destiny that is very much about this subject. So seeing it here in the Brothers... It's such an interesting, like, counterbalance that the thing I do, like, all these medias I absorb have this, like, point. And what I've really come down to, and I think I see it so much in Sam and Dean, is the idea that there is a plan, but it is up to you to take the steps necessary. So, it almost feels like I'm cheaping out the answer here, but ultimately I'm going with the free will. And that you are not necessarily, you don't necessarily need to follow the destiny that has been laid out before you. I mean, if this season alone isn't going to be that, I feel like we're going to get a lot of this, Dean, you're the vessel for Michael, and Dean being, no, I'm not going to do it, wag my finger. And that is very much a destiny has been written for you. Do you have to follow it, per se? And I think with Chuck's introduction, there was another good, good amount of that, of the, yes, there's a destiny laid out for you, and yes, you could try your best to fight it, and sometimes you will fail, as Dean did, but other times when Cass intervenes, you can succeed. I think that covers everything that I can feasibly answer. Oh, one last thing, and sorry, yes, Cass is not broken. I refuse to believe Cass is broken. I think he is just an angel who has had enough time with humanity or humanity adjacent that he's been able to learn to empathize and thus discover his own feelings and i feel like any angel in theory could do this except for Mac, uh, maybe zachariah who is a dick and will always be a dick and forever will be a dick there's a line in 
a Leonard Cohen song that goes, there's a crack in everything, that's how the light gets in. You know, we tend to see, and it's interesting because I literally, we literally just published a paper about this where we talk about like, quote unquote, cracks in the system about like, and, and most people seeing them as, as weaknesses, but that's sometimes when those cracks are exposed, that's how we can see the creativity of people, the inventiveness of people, the kindness and the generosity of others. And I feel like this is kind of what Cass is all about, right? To kind of respond to what you're saying, Drew. Where like a lot of people would mistake some of his traits as weaknesses, but they are his greatest strengths, in my opinion. I love him. He is perfect the way he is. There is nothing wrong with him. Lucien, thank you so much for this amazing voicemail. I don't know how to quite answer the question about who controls the narrative because because frankly, I could talk about that for hours and, and we don't have hours here. But I will say that at the point where we are now with Supernatural, we're no longer talking about narrative. We're talking about legacy because the narrative is over. And sure, people can add prequels and sequels and whatever, but the narrative of Supernatural, the show, is over. What is left is its legacy. And the legacy does not lie with the showmakers, the showrunners, the show creators. The legacy lies with us, the fans. We get to decide how this show will be remembered. There you go. And that's in part why we're doing this podcast, in order to add to the legacy of the show. This media is created for consumption, and it is those who take it in that it affects the most. So it is important for you as someone who takes in media and feels it inside you to express it the way it needs to be expressed, if that makes any sense. You know, the showrunners had their chance to make a legacy. They decided how the show ended. They decided how the narrative ended. And now let's see how that narrative, how those choices stand the test of time. And already, I can tell you that it's not great. <laughs> well said. Thank you again for an amazing voicemail. Shall we go reflect and see about our own calls to action this week? Yes. Very weirdly, my reflection is on how Bobby, in this case possessed Bobby, talks to Sam. And how clearly, no good, not appropriate. But I feel like... That is how I take feedback sometimes. I I find I feel like you and I both know we we grew up we we evolved in a world where receiving feedback was very regular. And it takes a moment for me to remember why feedback is being given. And while in the moment it can feel harsh or difficult, or you want to just go, but wait, no, I disagree. I need to remind myself sometimes that feedback is coming from a place of improvement. At least proper feedback is. So, my call to action for myself is to 
remember when I am given feedback, when someone is taking the time to share with something, share something with me, it's to improve me or improve something that I am involved in or I work towards or about me. Right. I guess the only thing that I sort of want to add to that is that like, yeah, Bobby was not giving feedback to Sam. No, true. Right? It's, <laughs> just, it's just, that, that I think that's what sparked the thought though, is just the fact that like this was terrible feedback. And sometimes feedback feels that way because in the moment you feel vulnerable. Like even the fact that Sam doesn't fight back in that feedback is because he feels like Bobby's probably right because he feels like such garbage already. So when someone tries to give me feedback, especially if I'm not like ready for it, it can be difficult. So the for me, like I said, that is a moment of like, even if I have to like walk away from it and then look at it 10 minutes later and go, you know what, that that's good feedback. Let me take it to heart and do something with it. Well, I, again, felt very strongly for Sam in this episode. Because that feeling of, like, realizing that you've, like, royally fucked up, pardon my French, and, like, trying to make things right with the people that you've wronged is a bit of a familiar one for me. And so this was a reminder for me that repairing relationships, like, doesn't happen overnight. And that apologies aren't magical things that everybody is just forced to accept. And my call to action is to put in the work when I've wronged somebody. Yeah, because like you said, in this episode, it's not quite clear. You know, we're at the very beginning stages of that. So let's, let's see how Sam kind of deals with that. Because, yeah, apologies. Nobody is forced to accept an apology. And I think that it, it's, again, very difficult to apologize to somebody but it's also equally difficult to forgive somebody. It really is a two-way street, and to walk into an apology thinking it's all on you it means you shouldn't be apologizing in the first place. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, I also sort of want to... I'm glad that you're bringing this up, because like, I think it's very important for people to think about the reason why they're apologizing like, are you, are you, are, and even like, if I'm putting it for myself, this is something that I've been working on quite a bit in the past few years where like, am I apologizing to make myself feel better or am I apologizing because it will make the other person feel better? And will, will that help the repairing of the relationship? Is there a relationship left to repair? Because if you're just apologizing to get it off your chest which I can see Sam being like in the process of doing right now. So I'll give you that <laughs> regarding our earlier conversation. Um, I think it's really important to kind of like think about why you apologize in general. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Marie Vigouroux and myself, Drew Schulman. Thank you to our Bunker patrons, Katira, Michelle, and Elle, for their generous support. This week, we'd like to thank Lucien for his message. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using @carryingwayward, and leave us a rating and a review on your podcast service of choice. And don't forget to join our coffee or Patreon for perks and extra content. You can use the link in all of our social media bios, or go directly to carryingwayward.com. Carry on our wayward friends. Mwah, mwah. Squeeze the lemon.